All righty, Pastor Mark Driscoll here. Uh, welcome to the Real Leaders Podcast. We're going to have a series of conversations uh, with my friend, uh, Dr. Miller. Maybe take a few minutes, just kind of introduce yourself, and then I'm going to set up the topic. We're going to get into sex, gender, sexuality, transgenderism, uh, transgender surgery, hormones, all of that. You're wearing your usual attire for work, so maybe tell them a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure. Yeah. I'm Michael Miller. I'm a plastic surgeon. I um, finished my training in plastic surgery in uh, 1987. So I've been uh, in this professional field for for that many years. Um, I uh, do mostly cancer reconstruction. I've been in academics this entire time. Uh, I was the chair of, um, of a department at a major Big Ten university. Uh, for many years, founding chair of the department. Was that a medical department or a plastic surgery a department? Plastic surgery department, yeah. Department of plastic surgery. And um, should I mention the... If you want, it's up yeah, to you. At the, the Ohio State University. Which is the biggest school, I think, in the country, It's right? the biggest school in the country. And, and you founded their plastic surgery department? Yes. Yeah, yeah. For, I was there for 12 years. And uh, uh, and recently, uh, you know, I left there and I've been in Phoenix for a couple of years now, and I work for the cancer program at uh, Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center. And I'm the chief of plastic surgery there. Okay, so, so those are great credentials. Thank you so. for sharing with us. So uh, when you left Ohio State University, um, was it related to this issue or ethical lines as a Christian that where the university was pushing, you couldn't go? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, there was a change in leadership. I've been there for 10 years. There was a change in leadership at the university at, at many levels, uh, the president level and at the medical center level. Um, and the philosophy of leadership shifted a little bit where the priorities that I was expected to hold uh, were basically being told to me by, uh, the, by the medical center leadership. And it, 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 the one which was most objectionable to me was, uh, was the issue about transgender. And uh, there was tremendous pressure to uh, become involved in a transgender program, which really can't be done without plastic surgery. And I told them that, um, that as long as I was chair of the department, plastic surgery would not participate in a transgender program, that we had other priorities. And, um, and that became uh, the tipping point for me. Yeah. So, so then you had to choose between sort of your Christian convictions and your career path. Yes, it was a clear choice, uh, but it was a clear choice. I yeah. Mean, uh, I, I chose to uh, leave my position uh, and uh, because I just couldn't uh, – I had such strong objections yeah. to what was happening with transgender and uh, that I just couldn't, couldn't uh, see continuing. You know, so. But you'd spent your whole, you know, much or most of your adult life academically preparing, qualifying, credentialing, sort of moving into a position where you start a department and then to leave all of that, you and your wife move halfway around the country, not knowing what's next career path wise or what the Lord would have for you. That was basically it. I mean, it was clear when I told them at uh, the university that I uh, was going to leave, um, we had no obvious alternative. Uh, in fact, I made a list of 17 alternatives, and I started to work through which ones uh, made the most sense, and the Lord uh, opened doors for us to make the change. But, uh, but at the time, when we decided that this wasn't a viable option for us any longer, it was just you know, stepping off, uh, off the cliff, you know, I had no idea what the alternative would be. So, well, we're honored to have you in Arizona. And, uh, and I think that that pressure that you felt as a leader, I think now a lot of leaders are feeling, feeling it to a lesser degree, but a similar pressure, uh, parents, pastors, educators, uh, ministry leaders, business leaders, uh, they're feeling this pressure and push to endorse transgenderism, to support um, surgery, to do permanent, I would say damage, irrevocable damage oftentimes to young people. And so to just set it up, what's interesting is I pulled up uh, just to sort of establish kind of the, the real 
growing, looming issue for Christians. There's about 330 million Americans. 1.6 million are transgender. Uh, That's according to a recent New York Times article. I mean, you're dealing with far less than 1% of the population. And most people would assume we're talking about a a massive number of people. But what they do say, 43% of transgender Americans are young adults or teenagers. And it goes on to say that uh, that number has basically roughly doubled since 2017, according to the Center for Disease Control. And uh, it says, well, teenagers were just 7.6% of the total population. They account for roughly 18% of transgender people. Likewise, those 18 to 24 are 11% of the population, uh, but uh, 24% of the transgender population. So what's happening is with this push in education, this push in media, this push on social media, this political pressure, really at every level of culture, younger people are converting. And so I, as a pastor, I would see this as uh, evangelism, that LGBTQIA are denominations within a religion of sex and gender and sexuality and marriage and that they are now actively trying to convert younger generations to this religious devotion. And uh, and then sex becomes sort of their version of baptism. This is the act where you sort of declare yourself, and coming out publicly would be like sort of sharing your testimony. It's all a counterfeit. And uh, and the result is younger generations are, are converting to this. And, um, and now we're seeing there, there was even a sort of a, a Noah's Dove bill that came out in California. Um, it was uh, SB 107, and uh, it's saying that uh, if your child comes home, let's say you got a kid in elementary or middle school or high school, they come home and they say, hey, I've been hearing a lot about sexuality, gender fluidity, transgenderism, the gender spectrum. I think that that's me. If you don't get them uh, psychological and or medical help that they want, then uh, the government would have the right to come in with Child Protective Services, take the child from the home, uh, and it would classify the inability or unwillingness of the parents to support the decision as, as a form of child abuse. And so, you know, with an agenda to include that, it's not like, hey, you guys are non-Christians, we're Christians, you know, you do what you want, let us do what we want. All of a sudden now the state is taking away potentially parental rights if bills like this are passed and it's not yet been passed. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, leaders, parents are facing all of this. So I'm going to ask you, um, is there such a thing biologically, medically, are we made like Genesis says, male and female? Is that is that it? Is it a binary gender series of options? No question about it. Of course, that's all there is. There's male and female. There's no third gender. There's no uh, you know gender fluidity. You know, again, when I use these terms, um, we have to be very careful about how we define them. I mean, because uh, what's happened in this whole field is a redefinition of terms where you can be speaking to somebody and using words like gender, and you know what you mean, but it may mean something completely different to them what, 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 with what you're saying. So it, the this is part of the problem in this whole field, is the redefinition of terms that uh, traditionally have meant one thing and now mean another. Yeah, and traditionally, you know, Christians, but honestly, the Western world, sex, male, female, gender, masculine, feminine, sexuality, a man and a woman, and marriage for a man and a woman to then have children. And so historically, that's what it's been. Today, uh, you know, sex is no longer established by God because a surgeon could come in and change that. Uh, Sexuality uh, and gender then is on a fluid spectrum and you can sort of morph and move between. And then sexuality is any number of expressions. And now marriage is no longer a man and a woman. It'll be polygamy in our lifetime. I mean, so for those who would say uh, that is unloving, that's intolerant, this is how people feel. This is how they identify. This is how they express themselves. Uh, What would your response be as a clinician or as a Christian to that? Well, I mean, both as a clinician and as a Christian, that is an upside-down way of looking at things. I mean, basically, traditionally, and the only rational way to look at things is that there are two sexes that are genetically determined 
and everybody falls into one of those two categories, except for a very minor number where there are developmental errors. Or way under errors, 1%. Way under 1%. And those, we're not talking about those. We're talking about people with normal, um, normal uh, genetics and normal development. Okay, There are only two, male and female. Now, traditionally, gender has an ingredient of culture and social mores and expectations that are laid on top of sex. But sex drives it. Sex yeah. defines what your gender is, okay? What's happened is, in this field, is that sex, sexuality as genetically defined and gender as with a social dimension to it, they've been detached, they've been unlinked. And this linkage has been destroyed with zero evidence that it's so a So it's not a medical that. issue. It's a political, social issue. Well, the political, social piece of it is the, the gender piece, but it is a medical issue as well. When you start talking about doing surgery in people, you're talking this a medical issue. But what's happening is instead of the medicine and the evidence driving the discussion and driving, dictating to clinicians what they should be doing, it's upside down. It's 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 the other way around. The, the political, the cultural, the philosophical is driving medicine, mm -hmm. and 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 the need for evidence is just basically been abandoned at the fundamental level you know, of of the transgender issue. There is zero evidence that is appropriate for a person to declare that there is sex different than their biological sex. No evidence for that. Zero, okay? But that is the fundamental premise of the whole transgender movement, okay? It's a, it's a, a house built on sand, you know? And the sand is this assumption that, um, that your sex, your biological sex, and your gender are unlinked. Yeah. That, that, that is an assumption with no evidence, but it's the foundation of the whole transgender movement. And this is um, why uh, it will fail. Yeah. Well, and historically, uh, in the medical community, this was not questioned until very recently. And within Christianity now, you've even got pastors, whole denominations. You've got a generational woke apostasy that's going on uh, in large part with younger leaders. And, and they're denying the basic tenets of the Bible. And so you work from the medical side. I work from the biblical side. I know you're, you're a Christian and love the Bible as well. Um, but the Bible says we're made male and female. And then it goes on to give directives to men, like it says in Corinthians, act like men, well, it's to men. And that has directives to women, women do this, women don't do that. It has directives to uh, males and females. And so, you know, the Bible is from beginning to end, it's binary. It's males and females to be masculine and feminine, men to be attracted to women, women to be attracted to men, and the sexual desires to be satisfied within heterosexual marriage. I mean, so sex, gender, sexuality, and marriage in the Bible, it's a, it's a, it's a four-link chain, and every one of those links has been broken in the world we live in. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And it's the, as a Christian, these things you just mentioned, of course, are just clear and obvious to me. Um, as a medical professional, you try to introduce justification for a position against transgender using something like the scripture, you're just dismissed, you know, because yeah. they don't have regard for the authority of the scripture. Most of my colleagues, mm -hmm. most of my uh, uh, professional colleagues. Um, so, but the interesting thing about something like this is that you can you don't even need to appeal to the scripture. Yeah, you just follow the medical evidence. You just follow the medical evidence, you know, and, and, the, and the reality of things. What's, what's happened in this whole field is a, a, a shift away from a traditional view of, of evidence and knowledge, uh, a philosophical shift away from these things where it, it, you were expected to uh, adopt a view um, that is doesn't need evidence, you yeah. Know, as long as uh, it makes sense, yeah, to some segment of the medical community or the or the culture, you know. 
Yeah, no, I would say you can argue from the scripture to the scripture. If somebody's a Christian, they believe the Bible, you argue from the scripture. If somebody's a non-Christian, you argue too. You're like, let's start with general revelation, common grace. Let's start with medicine. Let's start with reality and bring you at least to the categories that the Bible would encourage. So for the average person who's listening, they're like, I can't just go around quoting verses, you know, friends, family, coworkers are not going to listen. As a Christian, how would you present sort of this worldview that that is just in correspondence with reality from a medical perspective on gender, sex, and sexuality? Yeah, I would I would uh, make an analogy between sexuality and gender similar to other characteristics that mark a person. Identity, because what we're talking about today is identity in large part. Right, how you identify yourself based on your characteristics. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a male. I, I agree with that, by okay. the way. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that is genetically defined. Yeah. Okay, and I am an American. I am, uh, I have white skin. You know, I have... What used to be dark hair that was really full, but now is gray and thin. <laughs> I have all these characteristics, okay? If I identify myself different than those clear characteristics that have been genetically defined, there's something amiss with my self-perception, you know? We would make that conclusion if I were to identify as anything different than what's obviously true about me except now sex, okay? Mm -hmm. For no good reason, we have decided that sex is different than all of the human characteristics, you know? I, and it is, there's... It's so a, let's say you uh, you wanted to go fight in a war, you couldn't fill out a form and say you were 19. No, I mean, I, well, I could, but I would be quickly, you know, <laughs> yeah. shown that that was wrong. Yeah, and if you wanted to apply for a scholarship at a university and you said you were Native American or you were, um, you know, Native Eskimo or something of that nature, you you probably would be dismissed, even though in your heart, that's how you feel yeah. you are. Yeah, I, I, you could identify as these things. If, you, you know, the, 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 um, the analogy is direct and perfect between these things and sexuality and gender, you know, uh, you, you, we must align our personal identity, what gender we are based upon the reality of what genetically has been determined for us. Yeah. That, that those two must align and the aligning, uh, uh, feature is your genetic sex. That mm -hmm. your self-perception must align to that, okay? And, you know, gender affirmation is helping somebody to, to come to that alignment, you know? The gender dysphoria is real. So okay. explain, that's a huge category. Yeah. So, okay. so there's, you know, we would agree that uh, in what's called, we were talking about this previously, the correspondence theory of truth, that truth is that which corresponds with reality. Yeah. So... You know, you can, you know, I, I can walk into the bank and say, I feel like a millionaire. Yeah. And in my heart, I'm a millionaire. And I think I was born in the wrong bank account. So <laughs> let's try. I'd like to try yeah, that. So, today. what I'd like to do is, I'd like to, I'd like you to put me in the bank account that I feel like I should have been born into and how I identify is as a millionaire. And they would say, it doesn't work that way because you may feel like you have a million dollars in your account, but that doesn't correspond with reality. So when it comes to engineering, when it comes to accounting, you know, you have to deal with reality. And now what we're seeing in the medical community, um, reality doesn't need to correspond um, in any regard. And so what is gender dysphoria? Well, well gender dysphoria is defined as a personal discomfort uh, with the the gender that's biologically defined for you, where you are a biological male, you're a biological female, but personally and psychologically, you're uncomfortable with that. And and the more severe your your discomfort, the more severe your 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 uh, level of gender dysphoria, you know, and that's a real thing. People really do experience discomfort yeah. with who they are. And I would say too, as a pastor, I mean, I I I, I preach the Bible for better part of 20 years next to the chop zone in Seattle. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm familiar with people who don't agree with my position on these things, but um, oftentimes it's caused by trauma. 
there was some traumatic event in their life that that really caused them some confusion regarding their sex and gender identity. And so just because someone feels something, it may be very true that they're, they are suffering with identity, that they are struggling with who they are, that they feel very deeply and passionately about this. But if it is triggered by any trauma, then we need to deal with the underlying trauma to heal that. Uh, but, but medically, um, gender dysphoria has historically been a category, correct, where somebody, they're not dealing with reality. Well, well in the past, the, the expression to describe people with this condition was a gender identity disorder, okay, where there was this idea that you were identifying as a gender that doesn't, you know, correspond to your sexual, um, to your biological sex. They consider it an identity disorder of, amongst other identity disorders. So it was like a mental health issue. It was a mental health issue. It was considered that up until the most recent uh, version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Psychiatry. Yeah, that's the Bible for counselors and clinicians. Yeah. It's the latest version of, of, of what we're supposed to be thinking about psychiatric and psychological issues. And the gender identity was dropped from this, and it was changed to dysphoria so that you, if you're uncomfortable with your gender and you, you're a biological male who believes you're a female, it, you don't have an identity disorder. You identify as a female. You have a discomfort with your biological sex. And so the solution is now to al align your biological, physical okay. self to how you feel about yourself rather than the other way around. So my psychology and my biology, they're discordant. They're discordant. So rather than giving me, you know, mental health support to accept who I am, uh, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm going to change my body. That, that's right. And, and before recent decades, it was not possible to do this. I mean, I mean, what's changed is that now we understand enough about sex hormones. We understand enough about, we have enough surgical technology to change someone's anatomy, to simulate the opposite sex. This this wasn't possible before. You know? But simulates a key word. You can't change their sex. No, you cannot change their sex. No, it, it's a simulation at best, and and it is, and many times, a poor simulation. You know, it it, it doesn't function like the normal anatomy. Can't it, reproduce. It can't reproduce. It, it, it's 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 a, it's a. You know, I hate to use the word, you know, but in my view, it's just a twisting, a twistedness of using technology that's very advanced and very sophisticated to accomplish things that are the opposite of what we should be doing. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's just profoundly disturbing to me to see what's going on. With and this. so just personally, I mean, this started very early in your career having to deal with this issue. Yeah. Yeah, in 1987, I began my plastic surgery residency. The very first case I was assigned to was a gender reassignment case. We called it gender reassignment at the time. You know, they don't call it that anymore. It's called gender affirmation surgery, which I would question the appropriateness of that label. But the first case I was so assigned to So first day on the job. First day on the job, I, I, I was assigned to this case. I was horrified. I didn't know what to do. I tried calling people. I tried. I called James Dobson. I just picked up the phone. Is Dr. Dobson there? No, he's not there. You know, I, yeah. well, I have a question for him. Well, he's, you know, <laughs> but, uh, Help. Yeah. I mean, 87. I mean, 87. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I eventually um, chose not to do it. I mean, the, the next day, and, and, and the procedure was being done by the chief of the program, the program director, you know, and that was brand new. And so, uh, I went in to talk to him the day before the surgery, and I told him I was uncomfortable with this. I said, don't get the wrong idea about me. I'm not a troublemaker, but I'm uncomfortable with this operation, you know. And he asked me why. And I said, well, I'm not, I don't know enough about gender dysphoria to be certain that doing surgery like this is the best treatment. And I remember he didn't try to correct me or didn't try to explain to me why it was the best treatment. He just said, okay, would you take care of the patient afterwards? I said, sure, I'll take care of the patient. And that was my introduction to plastic surgery in my profession. Mm. And in this theme, 
background theme of the transgender issue has been kind of there. It's been in your whole adult life. My whole adult life. For for more than 30 years, I've been a plastic surgeon. And uh, recently, things have changed so much in the field. I mean, uh, the view that people who were doing this type of surgery were kind of on the margins. And uh, people knew it was going on, but it wasn't they were kind of fringe people, you know, and programs that were exploring this were kind of out there academically. Um, but that's all changed now. Everything has changed in plastic surgery where it's, it's become mainstream yeah. in my profession, you know? So, well, so maybe explain to the average person listening, like, okay, if let's say my 14 year old son comes home, I don't have 14 year old son, but my 14 year old son comes home and says, Dad, you know, we've been studying this a lot for years in school and I've been on social media and I've been, you know, researching online and I believe that I was born uh, in the wrong body. I identify as maybe a female or gender fluid or transgender, but definitely not solely exclusively male. And dad, I want to take the hormones and I want to begin the transition and I want to have the surgery. What happens to that person? Well, to to the child, to the fourteen-year-old. Yeah. Well, it depends on where you are in the country. It, it, which is strange that your medical decisions are determined by your political leadership. I mean, now we've completely left medicine. Now we're into politics. So if you're in a bright blue state, they won't even tell your parents. If you're in a bright red state, uh, it would potentially be child abuse to do something. I mean, it's crazy. Well, it is crazy because, and this is the the ambiguity of the field and the and the confusion of the field. I mean the, the whole field is as confused as the person who believes that they're a different gender than their biology. Yeah. I mean that the whole concept uh, of of uh, of who we are is being challenged with this. I mean it this is so fundamental. Our sexuality and our gender is one of the most clear and obvious things about us as a person. Yeah. And to challenge that it is really challenging such a fundamental thing about a, a person. It's, 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 it's just, it's still stunning to me that we're in the middle of this. this yeah, and session. as a, as a Christian, not from the medical, just as a, as a Bible teacher, but God made us male and female. And it's kind of looking at God and saying, you sinned against me. You made me wrong. And therefore, uh, I'm going to need to change what you have done. It's like God is the sinner. And, uh, and by us changing our sex and gender or seeking to change our sex and gender, it's like we're repenting for God's sin against us. It's like, it's like a to, to me, I see it as a total counterfeit of the gospel. God does right. We do wrong. We need to change. No, God does wrong. We are right. We need to change what God has done wrong. Yeah, yeah it's, it's totally backwards. At every level, on the spiritual level, uh, on the philosophical level, on the medical level, it's inverted. It's it's completely upside down, you know, and it, it's... What the Bible called darkness being called light and light being called darkness ex- exactly. and good being called evil and evil being called good, um, exchanging the truth for the lie. Yeah. That we're, we're seeing it in, in real life like never before. It's always been true. There's always been distortions. There's always been lies. There's always been flipping true spiritual concepts upside down. But what's happening now is so extreme and so mm-hmm. widespread around the world. Well, and it's pressurized. It's uh, there. I was. I was. Uh, there was a person who themselves were non-binary. They uh, went through a transition decades ago, and they have been helping and advocating for teens and young adults to, you know, undergo transition. And they have left that psychological association because they say it's gone from helping kids transition to pressuring kids to transition. And now, unless you're willing to explore and to experiment with your sex and your gender and your sexuality, uh, it's almost like uh, it's almost like the the social pressure, the bullying that happens is so great that it's it's pushing people in a direction that they wouldn't have probably chosen for themselves. Yeah, I. I that that's happening at every level. It's happening to people, to patients, to to adolescents, to to children. It's happening to professionals yeah. who who are marginalized and dismissed if they don't if they're not on board with this shift. It's a philosophical shift. It, it's it is what's happened, and it's uh, 
you know, I mean, I don't know. So let's deal with this. Let's deal with the medical and then the philosophical. Make a note here. Okay. So on the medical, if I if somebody wants to undergo a, a, a seeming change in their anatomy, their biology, what what exactly happens to their physical body? What does that take? What does that cost? What what is that? Well, if you what generally happens is a person who wants to transition, you begin with hormone manipulation, okay? Where as a child, you get hormone blockers. And so what the hormone blockers explains, I mean, I've heard some reports that sometimes those hormone blockers are the same thing that we give to convicted sex offenders for chemical castration. <laughs> we don't have an endless variety of things to manipulate hormones. So if you need to manipulate the hormones for any reason whatsoever, you use the same materials, you know, because we don't have... Yeah, you're uh, repurposing. You're just repurposing the particular medication or hormone that you have at your disposal. And but once a person, you know, goes through the hormone manipulation... And how long does that take? It, it, it varies. I mean, uh, it can take a couple of years wow. to, to, to do this. But, uh, but the trend in the field is to continually lower the barriers... To a person, okay. If a person claims to be transgendered, if you want to put them through a rigorous set of assessments and and trials of uh, of living as a female or whatever, uh, if you're a male or, or vice versa, then it's considered to be raising inappropriate barriers to this person. Who are you? So accelerate the process as quickly as possible. Accelerate it because... With a life-changing decision that is irreversible. Well, this is the problem. I mean, as as a reconstructive surgeon, I mean, my basic, you know, motivation is to try and restore people who've been deformed or damaged by trauma or by congenital anomalies or by cancer and, and to try and restore normal, you know, to take something that is normal and destroy it and rearrange it to simulate something that uh, that's opposite of what biologically has been determined, that is so completely against every fiber of my professional mentality. I, I can't even... Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, you go into plastic surgery saying, you know, people are created this way something happens, let's do all we can to bring them back to that for which they were created, designed, and to say, we're going to take that which was healthy, rightly created and designed, and let's destroy it. Yeah, that's basically what's happening, you know, and, and it's it's rearranging, it's taking the genitalia, you know, and amputating some parts of it, rearranging some parts of it, to try and, and and simulate the anatomy of the opposite sex, and it it doesn't function the same anymore. So the it's, pleasure is not similar. It, 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 the, there there are some there are techniques to try and include the um, nerve endings and the such nerve endings and the parts of the organ that uh, that stimulate the pleasure and reposition it and simulate the location uh, of those organs in one sex versus the other. Uh, and they have a variable amount of success in, in mm -hmm. doing this, um, but it's, but it's it's uh, it's not a high percentage of the success that yeah. people have the pleasure. And know. reproduction then comes to a conclusion. There's Re no possibility. Reproduction is over. You know, for that per if you're a female or a male, you cannot reproduce because your female organs are gone. If you're a woman, your male organs are gone if you're a male, okay? Mm. And you're taking hormone replacements. So there will be no reproduction for you. Are you going to need to be on hormone replacements then for the rest for, of your forever, life? Forever, for the rest of your life. So you're you constantly know. battling your biology. Yeah, constantly. You know, and, and, it, and for the rest of your life, you'll need hormone replacements. And once you have the surgery, there's no going back to normal. You can undo some of the surgery, but it, it's but it's not ever like it was before. And it, there's scars and there's, it looks, you know, there's a, a simulation appearance of that if you try to reverse these things. Yeah. You know? So it, it's, it's a permanent irreversible change you're making in a situation where the diagnosis is questionable, can be challenged rationally if, if you're open to talking 
rationally mm-hmm. about it. And the other part of that's so disturbing to me is that for every diagnosis that we have, there's a differential diagnosis, a differential of causes for mm-hmm. that. If you have a symptom, then there's usually an array of possible causes and you have to try and find the cause, okay? We assume that when a person identifies as transgender, they're transgender because I've identified as transgender. You know, the idea of there being a cause of their feeling that they're transgender that may be not truly transgender, that maybe there's an emotional situation that's temporary, maybe there's something short-term that's led them to feel transgender, we, we we have no way to sort that out. So yeah. we're, we're doing there's trauma, there's confusion, there's some sort of deep pornography addiction. That's and and a lot of this, let's just be honest, is driven by pornography. It, and yeah. and you're just you're seeing things, and then you're sexually aroused, and it leads to lots of confusion. Well, it it, it it's it all. I would put it all under a category of sexual fantasies. You know, where where instead of reality driving your sexual life and you being mm-hmm. you having kind of a a discipline yeah. of mind you know so that you you bring under under the authority of god you know your sexual mind your sexual life yeah. and you follow the guidelines that have been laid out by god instead of doing that you start down this trail of of a fantasy living in your mind, you know, and it goes in many directions, you know, for a person. Uh, and for some, it leads to the, to, to different lifestyles, different sexual attractions, um, and to transgender, you know, and this is, again, this is how I analyze this. When I say these things, I don't have conventional medical studies, which will have that as a test, you know, but, just rationally thinking, mm-hmm. this is this makes sense to me that this is the pathway that happens to people, you know, and and being transgender is just one. It's almost like if you look at a prism, you know, and you shine a light on it, and then the the light which is coherent before it hits the prism, it just breaks up into a, a million colors. Okay, the prism is like 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 your uh your decision about who god is am i subject to god am i going to bring under the authority of god uh my sexual life and my personal identity mm-hmm. you know i'm going to subject my uh submit my personal feelings about myself to what i know is true because god has said it's true about mm-hmm. me if you reject that then it's like then that becomes a decision point like that prism, okay? And the light, which has been coherent and 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 clear before it hits the prism, it just breaks up into a thousand, a million different colors. And these are all pathways that you could go down, you know, for after that decision, you mm-hmm. know. And they're all they're all dead ends, you know. <laughs> yeah, they don't produce life, human flourishing, legacy. What's interesting too is let's say you're 22 years old and you decide I'm gonna undergo you know, transition surgery, because this is who I identify as. 15 years later, you may not identify the same. No. And so, you it know. It happens. It happens all the time. I mean, yeah. how many of us in our, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but how many of us in our teen years, we assumed and lived out of an identity that by our thirties, we had rejected. Like <laughs> a lot know, of people listening were goth kids. They were punk rock kids. They were, Stoners, they they and you change your dress, you change your appearance. Uh, sometimes you even change your name, and you're taking on an identity. But just because you adopt an identity doesn't mean you're going to live with it for the rest of your life. No, especially if your identity you're adopting is kind of a contrived one in your own mind and not and separated from reality. You know, I mean, which is what the transgender situation and many other things are. Uh, for for people, eventually reality will catch up with you. you so know? there is a percentage of people that late if they identify as one thing earlier in life, they will revert back to their biological sex and gender later in life. Yes. And then, but if they've had some, if they've had the hormone blockers and hormones and they've had the surgery, that, that transition back is gone. That bridge is burned. There's no returning. Well, there's no returning to normal, but there can be return, uh, for somebody who, after going through transition, 
decides that this was a mistake at any point in their life, they can realign themselves to their, their, the reality of who they are biologically. They can, they can do that. They can't undo if they've had surgery, uh, if they've had hormone blockers or, or hormones that have for so many years that it's affected their physique and, and their, um, you know, uh, and all, then they can't ever go completely back to what it would have been had they never transitioned. Yeah, can't get married, have a family and move forward. Well, you, you can't do those things, but you can, but you can make a decision. To, to go back. And I've met uh, several people who've made this decision later in life. And they, it's fascinating to talk to them. I mean, um, they will describe uh, the years living as the opposite sex, mm -hmm. opposite gender, as living with a mask on. Mm -hmm. And when they actually decided that they, I'm going to align my self identity with reality about me, they describe it's taking the mask off yeah. and, and, and being real, you know, and this is, which is the opposite again of what yeah. is said about these people. So it's, 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 um, you know, there's, uh, the whole field is characterized by misinformation, philosophical twists and turns. Well, and it's uh, new. And I'm, so how many, uh, last two questions. So how many, you know, medical, scientific, you know, extended, you know, research endeavors have been made to figure out what happens long-term, what are the long-term effects? There, there aren't many because they're difficult and they're expensive, okay? And, you know, the the first U.S. institution to begin doing this was Johns Hopkins University, okay? And in the, I think it was in the 70s. I can't remember exactly when it began. Uh, but they began a transgender treatment program that included surgery, they ran this for a number of years and they discontinued it because they found it was not helping people. It wasn't resolving their other psychiatric problems. It wasn't resolving their dysphoria about their gender. It didn't reduce the suicide rate of these people. And they discontinued the program. Now, since then, they've restarted it for political reasons. Yeah. Okay. They've restarted it. Some of the best studies are the best study I'm aware of long term is one from uh, Scandinavia, where in, in Scandinavia they have a, a, a population of people that are nice to study because it's fairly homogeneous, and the uh, the country has an extensive database on people that they maintain for years and years and mm. years. And some time ago, they there was a review of that database, a retrospective review of the data, and uh, and a Swedish uh, database about um, transgender people, and it was a thirty-year study, which was unprecedented. Okay, and they found that long-term, short-term, there's there's psychological benefit for people that they report. Okay, long-term, it basically all disappears. Where the issue that tr suicide is still at 10 times the baseline rate in the population for people who've transitioned who have had hormone and surgical treatment. We just think about, I mean, the, the mind-body connection. I mean, if you have taken hormone blockers and then you're taking hormones for the rest of your life, that, you know, to some degree that has got to affect your overall well-being. It, 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 it affects your well-being and, and it, it, it has side effects. You know, you take hormone, you take testosterone for decades, or you take estrogen uh, uh, for decades. It affects multiple parts of your body. You know, and which we, which none of these things have really been studied well. You know, the, the side effects of long-term hormone treatment, uh, the um, the the negative aspects of this, are just have not been well studied. And and my. <laughs> My complaint uh, with those of my profession who've been doing this for many decades is that they had the opportunity, if they had a rigorous mindset, they would have at least studied their outcomes over yeah. all these years. We lost the opportunity to look at American data and Canadian data over 30 years. Nobody, nobody did it. No, nobody tracked this in a way which we could have the type of study that has come out of Scandinavia. This is a, this is a real disappointment on the part of my colleagues who have been supporting So do you this. think down the road, 
there's potential backlash of litigation. People that said, hey, I didn't know that these would be the side effects. I didn't know that this would be the hormonal, chemical, mental consequence. Um, I wasn't fully informed. I mean, do you think that there's a backlash of litigation and lawsuits coming down the road? I, I do. I think that probably will be a thing which uh, really stems this will be the litigation that will follow because of uh, the number of people going through these transition therapies now and uh, the long-term effects have yet to be seen. Mm -hmm. There will be some, and all it takes is one, (laughs) you know, who uh, decides that this is a subject of litigation and, uh, and lawsuits will happen. You know, I mean, this is what I would expect. Yeah. So right now, if someone wants to, uh, so we're talking about the litigation, there's going to be, you know, expense there and the insurance companies will get involved and the lawyers will get their, their share. But if someone today in America said, I want to undergo a full transition surgery, roughly what does that cost? It costs a lot of money. I mean, uh, I, I have colleagues who I know, um, and friends with who do this surgery routinely and you know they collect tens of thousands of dollars cash for doing these surgeries you know and multiple tens of thousands you know and then you have the hormones the hormones are lifetime hormones you know and patients either have to pay for that or now with the pressure on insurance companies it's being paid for you know medicare i'm pretty sure now cms will pay for these things you know this is um this is where things are going and the pressures uh, the expense of these things is being put on the insurance companies to pay for these things so is it reasonable to say you know total price tag between the surgery hormone blockers and lifetime hormones you're in the you're a six-figure expense oh, easy six-figure over your lifetime yeah you know, and easy you know Maybe so for a lot of people, this is this is like their mortgage. This is like buying a house. No, that's exactly <laughs> right. This is, and they're this not going to afford that. Most people can't afford that. So there's going to be increasing pressure on the insurance companies. Which is there now. I mean, the insurance are going to be pressured, pressed to do this, to pay for these things. But then somebody's got to pay for it. Well, you and I pay for it. Yeah. You know, this is what, this is what. Which is crazy because like I'm, I, we're, Grace, my, my wife and I are looking, she's more into naturopathy and we, uh, we believe, you know, do everything you can to live a healthy lifestyle, diet, nutrition, exercise, vitamins, you know, and then if you need medication or surgery, that's after you've tried to live a healthy lifestyle, but nothing on the healthy lifestyle side is covered. It's like, Hey, I'd like vitamins or I'd like IV treatment or, you know, I'd like, you know, this natural supplement. None of that is covered, yeah. but we can get an abortion or we can change our sex and gender. I mean, it's it, it just, as a not even as a Christian, just as a person who's just trying to live a healthy lifestyle. It just seems baffling. Well, it's it's one of a long bullet list of things that are in our culture and in our society and in our country and in the world that really are upside down and make no sense. You know, it's just the nature of. You know, it's the nature of the fallen world. You know, yeah. the fallen world has much in it that is that makes no sense. It's irrational. It, it but this is the world we live in. You know? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, until Christ comes back, it's a fallen, messed up world. You know, we yeah. just have to do the best we can to 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 restrain the forces which which destroy people and um, and keep people. From turning to Christ, you know, yeah. which is the only solution. Well, yeah, I mean, because identity for us as as Christians, it's in relation to God, not in relation to self. Yeah. And so, if you don't know God, your your only understanding of identity is in relation to self. And 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 if you know God, it's like identity is in relation to God. Who who does He say that I am? That defines who I am. Yes. So it's not me going in to determine how do I feel about who I am. It's going outward and saying, who does God say that I am? It says I'm made in his image and likeness. I was made male. I'm under authority. I need, you know, here's sexuality, here's gender. Now my identity lane is carved out by God. But then uh, philosophically, then for those, you know who don't believe the Bible, where does this uh, sort of transgenderism and surgery, philosophically, where did it start? I mean, it didn't, it didn't start 
in the Hebrew world of the Old Testament. It doesn't start in the in the New Testament. It doesn't start in Western civilization. It's quite new, actually, in history. Well, well it's it's what's new. There, I have the view that it's all. There's nothing new. You know, this has existed since antiquity. You know, you can find uh, statuary from ancient Rome that you look at one side of the statue, it looks female. Look at the other side of the statue, it looks male. They have male organs, mm -hmm. breasts that are, you know, beautifully carved, you know. There has been gender confusion for as long as there have been human beings, I believe, yeah. you know. What's new now is the emphasis on it. And part of the emphasis that is being placed on it in Western culture anyway is is the shift that's occurred between some fundamental ways we think about the world, you know, and we've talked about this, and Mark, you and I, about, about the shift in how we understand truth, the correspondence theory of truth versus the coherence theory of truth. I mean, this is where the real battle is in our culture. It's really not Democrat and Republican. It's those who still hold to the idea that, that your, your perceptions and your ideas and your knowledge has to correspond to reality and those who don't believe it does. Yeah. Those who don't believe that reality is knowable or fixed. That reality is, you have some It's control. malleable. It's malleable, and you actually have control over what reality is by how you think about it and how you talk about it, you know, which is so fascinating to me. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. Well, they have a civilization with that. I mean, we don't live on islands. We live together. Yeah. And so if there isn't an external reality... And everyone lives within their own perception. I, I, it may explain why our entire Western civilization is in the process of unraveling. <laughs> I think it does. It's, it's, you know, you can't have a coherent culture with that kind of fundamental view of reality. You know, it, it breaks down. And what happens is when you have a vacuum of agreement that we all are trying to find reality with yeah. our thoughts and our discussions and our debates – when you get away from that, it's not sustainable. And so people start to look for alternatives, you know, and generally the alternative becomes from a top-down sort of thing where you have elites who decide this is how we're going to function. Yeah. Okay. This is how everybody has to function. We all have to agree on this because I said so, you know, instead of the other way around where we all have – we do the best we can to understand truth and reality, and we're all going to search for it. And we may disagree, but we believe it's out there. We'll work together to find it and try and mm -hmm. align our thinking to it. That's the traditional way of doing things, which is considered naive and outmoded. You know? Yeah. And that's that's the real divide in our culture today, as, as I see it. I don't know if you want to get into all this, but this, but this. Um, yeah, but so we were talking earlier too that uh, some of this started. Was it in Vienna? Yeah, well, the 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 transgender. If if you want to, one point you can begin modern transgender medical care can come out of the early 20th century, where physiologists, um, German physiologist, uh, was trying to understand the role of sex hormones, and he began to manipulate sex hormones in small animals and laboratory animals. And he began to try and change the sexual characteristics of these animals by castrating some and giving them uh, sex hormones and this type of thing. It was legitimate research to understand sexuality and the physiology of sex. Someone had the bright idea that, wow, if we can control sexuality with these hormones, we have all these people that are in the background of our culture who believe that they're not their biological sex. Maybe we can treat them with these hormones and help 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 them. And so they began this process. This was in the 20s and 30s. 1920s, 1930s? 1920s, 1930s with, uh, with um, uh, I wish I could remember the name. So uh, one, one, the surgeon was Hirschberg, I believe. I have to, I have to, I, if I had my notes here, I, I need yeah. notes these days. But, um, uh, but, but these surgeons uh, were working out of Vienna, okay, who, who did the first transgender surgery back in the 30s, okay? And, um, and it, this is, again, kind of a background thing. It was a very counterculture, very on the edge of medicine being done. 
Um, and uh, it's been percolating in the background for all these years, techniques being modified. Some people in my profession just taking a real uh, fascination with this and developing techniques mm -hmm. and becoming known you know, for their methods in this. Um, what's recent is the tremendous interest in it and the tremendous uh, um, shift in viewpoint of whether this is, is something that should be mainstreamed or something that belongs on the margins, you know? When I'd say a lot of that is probably driven by social media and the social media platforms and the social media influencers. And maybe this, unless you've got something else yeah. that you'd like to add, this may be a good place to wrap it up. So some, okay, sure. some years ago, I, um, I spend a little bit of time with uh, Dr. Drew. He's a psychologist, psychiatrist to the stars or something. And, uh, Grace and I did uh, his television show on marriage, and I flew down to L.A. and I did his radio show, uh, Loveline. I got to co-host with this non-Christian guy taking sex calls from, from non-Christians <laughs> live on the air. It wasn't awkward at all. And uh, in between breaks, we had a conversation, and uh, I think it was later he came out with a book that was basically building upon what he was sharing that he was thinking with me in that conversation. He came out with a book some years ago. It's called The Mirror Effect. And, um, and the basic premise is that the social media world and the celebrity and the influencer world is that uh, celebrities are, and uh, influencers are those who model behavior and then their followers mirror it. That, I, that, I mean, that makes sense to That me. makes sense to me. And so we were made in the image and likes of it, we were made to mirror. Yeah. We're, we're, we're made to reflect someone. Uh, and if we don't know God, we pick someone else and we reflect them. We mirror them. That's what it means to be made in God's image. And so what he said is, though, the problem is that as soon as your followers mirror your behavior, you're no longer a celebrity or an influencer because you're no longer an outlier. Yeah. So the only way to be an influencer is to be an outlier. You So then you need to do something more extreme, more outrageous, more scandalous to maintain that position of being the outlier. But then again, uh, celebrities or influencers will model, people will mirror. So all of a sudden, what was an outlier behavior or identity, it now becomes normalized. And so now you need to outdo it. And this, and so what he's talking about in the mirror effect, I think is, is the sickness of, of celebrity culture and social media. And that is, where does it stop? I mean, you know, things today um, that don't seem outrageous five years ago were unconscionable. Oh, no. And so you're, you're thinking in terms of gender and sexuality and, uh, and biology, the question is, well, if these people, you know, started out, you know, as a minority on the fringe and now their numbers are growing, they're no longer outliers. And so, but then the question then is, you can look at it right now and say, well, this is how this person feels. And if you really love them, you need to help them to live the life that they feel called to. So we really do love people. And we want the best for people. Question is long-term, what happens to that person? And if everyone follows their behavior, what does the future look like? What does it become? It looks, looks pretty chaotic and, and, and dark. And terrifying. And, ter and terrifying is a good word. I mean, it's, but you know, what, what you said about the mirror effect, you know, it, it's, there's a scripture that comes to mind out of Psalm, which you, you know, I'm sure you know, Mark, very well, but um, talks about people making idols that can't see, can't speak, can't yeah. hear. And, and then those who make them become like them. I mean, this is, this is, you, know, you, you become like that, what you worship, you know, and it's, this is the, I would say the mirror effect. If you worship some elite influencer by watching everything they do wanting to imitate everything you do you become like them yeah you know and uh the scripture is very clear about that dynamic you know so well and that's where even today i mean you're seeing it where teenage girls are you know sending nude photos and doing sex videos it's like where do they i mean it's not like they just woke up and thought about that they mm -hmm. saw it somewhere and thought i'm going to do that well as soon as everyone is doing something someone needs to do something more outrageous to receive attention and to maintain platform status and so you, you know do you have any idea of like right now where we're at is transgenderism spectrum fluidity 
if this just continues with human experimentation and you know recreation, any concept of where this goes in thirty years, what this looks like? Yeah, it's 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 it happening so fast, and it's it is terrifying to think about where it's where what the trajectory is, and uh, but this is where. Sometimes I feel like we're not going to stop it, you know, but that doesn't mean we don't try to, you know, we, we try to resist it. You know, the Holy Spirit is the restrainer of evil, and he works through us to restrain evil. And we ultimately know the final chapter of everything is going to be Christ is going to come back and fix everything. But it, between that today and that day, things are going to go from bad to worse. And our role is to try and restrain that so that God in his graciousness can win, can rescue as many people as possible. Yeah, so that there's human life and flourishing. And what we're talking about is a whole worldview that doesn't lead to human life. <laughs> it's, to distract. it's a war on humanity. It's a war on the nature of humanity. It's, it's, it's incredible. I think my wife was telling me this morning, um, or last few days, that uh, Naomi Wolf, uh, who's not a Christian. Well, she's a left-leaning feminist, you know, sort of first-generation feminist influencer. Yeah, th that's who she is. But yet, she looks at what's happening, and she described it as a war on humanity. So even somebody like her recognizes that this is a, we're in a dangerous situation at the moment, you know, and that threatens all of us, if we don't stand against it, you know, and the the transgender issue is just one, yeah, you know, of, of a number of of issues that that are that we have to resist. Yeah, and especially for those who are listening and are Christian, I, we don't expect people who don't know God to think like people who do know God. Now, you can follow the medical evidence, you can follow the science, you can follow what the Western world has believed, you know, about sex, gender since the beginning. Uh, but for God's people, I think the thing as a pastor and a Bible teacher that just wrecks me is the woke apostasy of an entire generation, in large part, younger pastors that are on social media and just flying rainbow flags and misquoting scripture and throwing out Christian truisms that are not true. And as a result, it's like, if, if there's not clarity about, you know, who we are as God's people, then there is no voice left in the entire culture to say anything contrary or to provide an alternative, which to me is, I mean, that's just, that's intolerance. Intolerance is no one is allowed to think any differently. Yeah. 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 The uh, Christian thinking and tr Christian categories that that's the counterculture now. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you're, you're the minority subculture, you're the minority subculture in this culture where it's where most people don't really believe that there is a God. Most people don't hold the scripture to be authoritative. I mean, we're, we're, this is the environment we live in, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, my, my view on this, you, you know, and how to approach this as a professional anyway, is, um, I like what you said to me earlier today about, you know, we teach from the scripture or teach to the scripture. You know, I mean, I, I think that many of my professional colleagues, um, who they fancy themselves to be evidence-based. The whole concept of evidence-based medicine is from a correspondence view of truth. Okay. Mm -hmm. This transgender issue is a penetration of into medicine of a, of a frame of viewing things that is not evidence-based, okay? It's a coherence-based, it's an alternative theory of, of truth that's penetrated medicine. My hope is that as I interact with my colleagues and show them that indeed they're making decisions and taking positions that are not evidence-based and to create a level of discomfort in them with the, with these views and to re and realize that they're living a contradiction. They're living a contradiction, you know, and, and my hope is that this will make them question all of their assumptions all the way back to the root assumption is that who is God? Is he authoritative? Is the scripture true? Do I need Christ? Who am I? 
these fundamental questions, which they sort of brush off or marginalize yeah. in their minds and drive them back to that. Because once you start questioning um, something like transgender, if you accept a question of that, then the chain of, of inferences that have led to transgender, you just backtrack that entire chain all the way back to the very beginning of it, which yeah. is your view of God. You know, and so this is what I hope to accomplish in, in my efforts to, uh, to raise questions about this, is, is to see that process occur and, and the colleagues who I appreciate there. I love my colleagues. I mean. Yeah. Well, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for your time. Okay. Thank you for 35 years of, <laughs> I mean, who would have known 35 years ago that your first day on the job, what the world would look like 35 years later? No idea. But in God's providence, there's a reason for all of that. And so thank you for sharing. I We love you. Grace and I love you and your wife. We appreciate your friendship. And I thank you for, uh, for sharing with us. I'll just close in prayer. Thank Father, you. thanks for... Uh, chance to talk to our friend, Dr. Miller. And God, uh, just pray for those who would hear this, that uh, for those who are parents and they're saying, oh my gosh, this is my kid, my grandkid, uh, my kid's friends, for my niece, my nephew, for those who would hear this, Lord, and say, uh, they're talking about somebody that I care very deeply about, a colleague, a family member, a friend. Uh, God, there are pastors hearing this saying, this is exactly what I'm dealing with in my church. And God, there's the medical and there's the spiritual and there's the theological. There's also the personal. There are people that we love and we care about, God, that you love and care about. And they're struggling through this issue or they're confused or they're they're feeling that maybe uh, their identity is not what you say it is. And, and some of these are even your people, God, who they do know Jesus and like the rest of us, they're struggling through some things and trying to figure it out. So God, I, I pray for a lot of grace on this conversation, but I pray that the grace would be uh, the the willingness to love while, while we uh, bring light into darkness and truth into lies. And it, it wouldn't be a compromising of anything, God, because we know that you are the living God, you are good, and that you are the God who when we obey, there's human life and flourishing. And when we do not, there is death. And God, we live in a culture today when the most dangerous place to be is the womb. And uh, if you make it out of the womb, there's an incredible, unprecedented amount of pressure in the Western world to change your sex and gender and to not have children. So God, just seems to me like all of this is ultimately an anti-life agenda. And uh, God, we know that you are the living God and the enemy comes to to kill. And so we pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects, pray in our spheres of influence that we would do the best that we can to help as many as we can to come to the truth. And his name is Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.